Hi, welcome back to the Wisdom Through Bitcoin podcast. I'm your host, Chris Bobe, where I scour the internet looking for people who are a little bit later in life that have swallowed that Bitcoin orange pill. I have with me today, Gary Leland. He's kind of a celebrity in the Bitcoin space. I'm super excited to have him on the show. He have, has quite the extensive uh, podcasting resume. He's the founder of BitBlock Boom, one of the largest Bitcoin conferences in the United States that takes place down in Austin every year. He's been inducted into the Bitcoin podcast, well, into the podcasting hall of fame. And he also has a day in his honor down in Arlington, Texas, every March 1st. Hey, Gary, how are you doing today? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm doing well, doing well. And what is the interest? People who are later in life. Why don't you just say old people? I mean, we all, all us later in life people know we're old. I mean, it's I know, like I'm in California. I got to be somewhat politically correct. Okay. <laughs> we see that. Is. We see that every morning when we look in the mirror and we say, oh, who's that old fart there? <laughs> well, you know, it's hard to say. You know, 60s, the new 50, 70s, the new 60, 40s, the new 30. Everybody's living longer these days. So you can't just necessarily say old. I mean, when uh, I was yeah. a kid, when my grandpa turned 60 years old, we had an old an old geezer party for him and, uh, you know, with all the decorations to match. And then he lived to be 85 years old or actually, no, he lived to be 94 years old. Excuse me. My other grandpa lived to be 85 years old. So you never know anymore what's old these days. Well, that doesn't mean he wasn't old. That just means he was old a long time. <laughs> it's all relative, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's just older. But, you know, yeah, that's it's kind of weird. You know, like my father was old, I feel like, in this. I'm 67. I thought my father was really old at 67. Acted old, thought old, and, you know, I really don't think of myself as being old at all until I look in the mirror. Yeah, right? Me too, until my daughter looks up at me and he goes, Mommy, you're old, or Daddy, you're old. <laughs> or Mommy, you're old. And my, my five-year-old son, he's, uh, he's getting in, in, into that stuff too. So... It's all relative. It's all relative. Just like Bitcoiners, you know, a, an altcoiner would say that, ah, Bitcoin's old technology. We need all of this new technology. Otherwise, it'll never work. And, uh, you know, then we take a look back at it and just realize that uh, we're so early into this Bitcoin space. 14 years is really a, a drop in the bucket compared to where this thing could go. Yeah, uh, that's true. You know, it's like they're looking for all these. They're wanting Bitcoin to add all these new features really fast where Bitcoin is doing fine. Mm -hmm. You know, and they just take their time. That's all they need to do is just take their time. There's no big hurry. It's doing great. You know, we don't have to add all these bells and whistles that don't matter. You know, so. I love what Michael Saylor says about that stuff, because when you're looking at creating a company or putting Bitcoin on your balance sheet, you know, you want something that's um, that is slow, that is uh, reliable. And, you know, in the technology space, it seems to be this overabundance of this philosophy of move fast and break things. But when you're talking about something like Bitcoin, you don't want it to move fast. You don't want it to break things. You want it to be consistent. You want it to be reliable. You want it to be dependable when when you need it most. Well, yeah, if people are going to invest in it, they have to feel comfortable. It's not going to fall apart on them, that they're not going to it's not going to die. It's not going to get destroyed. It's not going to move so fast that it's going to kill itself. You know, one time just screwing everything up when you're talking billions and billions and hundreds of billions of dollars is, you know, one time would be enough to just cause a major problem. Yeah, yeah. That, that kind of leads me into my first question here. Um, at the bottom of these bear markets, you know, we in Bitcoin tend to think of them as building phases, 
And so the question I wanted to ask you is, uh, what rabbit hole are you going down right now in the Bitcoin space to keep you interested and to keep you optimistic about the future of this asset? Well, I um, I agree with you. I don't care what you're into, what market you're into, when it's a bear market uh, is when you build. I've, I've believed that my whole life and I've done real well with that philosophy. Um, right now, I'm building a wagon wheel is what I like to call it. Um, I do... I like to do multiple projects, um, but I call it a wagon wheel because in this example, um, BitBlock Boom, my conference is the main hub or the spoke or the middle of the spokes. And then I build other things around the hub that all go down the spokes pointing to uh, the hub. So pointing to BitBlock Boom, I built uh, satscardshop.com which sells sats cards and that points to bitblock boom i've got bitblockbtc.com um i'm expanding on bitblockboommeetups.com we're in three cities now we'll probably be in five cities soon um and i'm getting ready to start bitcoin boomer coffee um yeah.com so i like to build i like to build projects that help market my main project and my main project is bitblock boom so i'm doing a lot of building right now now, are those mostly social media sort of platforms or are these places people can go and find other people in their communities and uh, meet up with them? No, they're like stores, you okay. know, where you can go buy my brand of coffee. Oh. Uh, I drink a lot of coffee. That's my newest one, for example. I drink a lot of coffee. So, and I have a meetup every uh, week uh, on Monday mornings here in Arlington, Texas. People come over and we drink coffee. I don't come over. We meet at a coffee shop and drink coffee and talk for Bitcoin for a couple hours. So. Since I like coffee so much, I thought I'd make a Bitcoin Boomer brand coffee. Uh, that's the generic name of it, but it does have Bitcoin Boomer in the title of the coffee since I'm known as the Bitcoin Boomer. Where's the so I'll start uh, my own coffee brand? Where's the origin of the coffee made? It, uh, El Salvador by chance? Uh, no, it's not El Salvador. It's, <laughs> Colum it's Colombia, I believe. Okay. I, uh, my wife and I, we took a trip down to El Salvador in, in April and May, and we drank a lot of coffee down there. And I, I drink a lot of coffee here and yeah. there it's all, it's all kind of, you know, your French press type of coffee. And it was so good. I drank so much of it all day long. And then when I got back, you know, I got the worst headaches from the withdrawal on that stuff, oh. which I wasn't expecting because I drink caffeinated oh. coffee all the time, but down there, it's just a, I don't know, it's a stronger, stronger blend or something. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I drink a lot of coffee. I think I've had six cups today and I'm probably not through. So I drink a lot of coffee. But don't get me wrong, I definitely recommend El Salvadorian coffee. It's it's delicious. I plan on going down there. I was going to Max is having a thing down there, but the timing is bad. Uh, it seems like every time something's going on, the timing is just bad for me. So it's out of time for I'll be down there. I just have never been down there. I, ha I have to get my wife. She's concerned that it's still a country full of terrorists, you know, that we're going to go down there and get um, thrown in a car with hoods over our heads and taken to the terrorist camp. Well, I, I don't know about that. We uh, we took our two-year-old and our four-year-old uh, down there, and we stayed in El Zante for 10 days and had an amazing time and never felt any sort of fear. Everybody I talk to says the same thing. So I, I, I don't think that there's anything to be concerned about. I, I As I stated, that's what my wife thinks. That's yeah. not what we think as a group. So She's, still I plugged into the, She's still plugged into the media system up here in the States, huh? 
and probably the media system from five years ago. She remembers seeing that or 10 years ago. Yeah, we're seeing that. What does she think about Bitcoin? Is she on the same page with you? Uh, it took her a long here. time. It was a uh, made up internet money for the first uh, years, um, the early years that we were into it. But now she um, has faith in Bitcoin. But this is her first, her first bear market because um, she didn't track it really when it was smaller as she does. Now she has an app she's put on her phone that she can see the price. So she actually watches uh, the price now. I think when she wakes up, she looks at the price. So. Um, she was happier and liked it more at uh, sixty-eight thousand, whatever, than she does at uh, seventeen thousand. But she's she was telling me yesterday she's very happy to be out of sixteen thousand. That we had been there forever, you know. She said, "Yeah, I remember. Uh, you know, when we started this last well, when the last bull run started, it was going up a thousand bucks a day. Oh, and at then, one point, I think it was going up faster than that." In 2017, it was definitely, I think it was going up $1,500 or $2,000 a day, uh, up to $20,000. But uh, yeah, I think that that bull run at Thanksgiving, maybe it was $7,000. And by, by Christmas, it was $18,000 or something. Yeah. I mean, it, it went off the hook. Yeah. Yeah. And so everybody that was, was talking about it. And every time I was trying to send uh, Bitcoin from the exchange over to my hardware wallet, I was just looking at the fees, just starting to climb and climb and climb. Oh, yeah. They were and, really high. Yeah. And uh, the amount of time it took, you know, it was taking hours for the transactions to to confirm. But, yeah. She, she used to think it was made up internet money back then. You know, that's what I heard. It's just made up internet money, Gary. We can't, you can't be putting your money in that. Yeah. So what was her inflection point? Uh, I think when she, um, I think when I, really started making it more of my business um she got involved and started meeting people that were into it because uh, we have a lot of hardcore bitcoiners come to bitblock boom i mean you know that are really yeah that they're, they're going to die before they sell their bitcoin probably and uh talking to them and meeting the speakers and i think being around all these people she decided pretty quickly these were a lot of smart people I mean, from talking to them, because there's a lot of smart people involved in this technology, I'm much smarter than I am, that's for sure. And uh, I think that that just gave her more confidence. And then I, I watched, I watch a lot of TV while I work, but it's always YouTube, you know, on my television, and I'm watching something about Bitcoin like 24/7. So she's she's real knowledgeable in it now, just from overhearing uh, YouTube and coming to conferences and stuff. Now, when I go to a conference, like I'm going to Naples, I think next week to speak at our, our moderate panel, uh, she's going to come, but she won't go to the conference. She doesn't like it that much that she wants to attend a Bitcoin conference. She'll just go so she can go shopping or go to the beach or hang out at the pool or something and travel with me. But so she's into it, but she's not into it like you and I would be to go to a conference and hang out. Yeah, you're yeah. lucky there. I created a monster with my wife. Uh, she got into it later also, I think 2020, when uh, we had the big drawdown from, well, when it went to 3,000 up to 10,000 and then the pandemic hit and then it dropped back down to 4,900 and I got up at the dinner table one night to buy more Bitcoin. And she was so mad at me and because uh, she just didn't, she thought it was made up internet money and I was only supposed to invest, you know, what I had extra and not, you know, put the family at risk or anything like that. 
And then uh, after that experience, I basically, I stood up, I was like, honey, I know you're going to be mad at me. I don't care. I got to do this. I'll be back. And uh, that night I think was her inflection point. She started doing more research on it and she started realizing what this asset was. And then she started asking more questions and the conversation started and it got really good to a point where she's a, a technology product manager. And I was like, honey, you need to get into this space. You know, there's a lot of uh, demand for your talents out here. And she said, well, I'm not quite sure what my experience level is or how I can really help. I said, look, it's just something else you're selling. You know, just put your resume out there and see what happens. And uh, within a week, she got a, a bite working uh, for this company called Coinbits. And they do a, a, a daily roundup sort of deal. So if you spend, you know, 95 cents, it'll take the other five cents round up to the closest dollar and buy sats with it. So yeah. kind of helping you with your savings habits. And then they have DCA and they have uh, other client products that they're developing, uh, very similar to Swan um, in, in a lot of respects. And she's been working there now for over a year and a half. And the, the computer screen you see behind me, we we both work from the home. And so I get to hear all half of a lot of conversations she's having and just the amount of knowledge that she's accumulated and the conversations that she's having within the, the financial industry and with uh, current Bitcoin maximalists and, and, and all that stuff. It's uh, now every time she's like, oh, you have an extra dollar? Buy Bitcoin with it. To the point where I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you know, we have to we have to do a little bit of risk mitigation here. <laughs> like we still you know I can't buy it just to sell it to spend it, you know. Like Yeah, I'm not uh my wife's not in that situation. She's saying, always saying, We got enough, quit putting money in there. We got enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't help myself. I gotta buy a little more. <laughs> yeah, so uh but it's funny, we um I sold the company I had. I had a podcasting conference I sold my share of and we got a pretty good windfall. So she bought uh, a new Lexus and I bought some Bitcoin. And uh, I'm t I, I, so I always tell her like right now, I'll go, you know, that uh, Lexus costs us like a hundred, that's $70,000 today. Cause it would have been about 10 Bitcoin. You know, it was like 40, it's probably $50,000. So it's probably more, you know, I'm going, so if we put that in Bitcoin, you know, we would have, you know, cause I'm driving her old Mercedes I had a Hummer. I just sold it and got cash and bought Bitcoin with it and took the old Mercedes, which was newer than my car. You know, so I, I'll drive that car till I die before I spend $70,000 on a car. I mean, I could have put that into Bitcoin. Yeah, it's really interesting how uh, Bitcoin, the way we start thinking about it once you've been in the space a little while, it's almost like another language. Because you, you hear this idea of one day things will just be priced in Bitcoin. And then you start thinking and learning about what Satoshis are and how many decimal places, uh, you know, there are eight decimal places and how many Satoshis equal one Bitcoin. You know, I'm not going to keep track of that stuff. And then just over time, like a language where you never think you'll learn it, you just start in your mind thinking about these things. Oh, well, if I buy this, you know, that's 25,000 Satoshis or that's three Bitcoin or that's that's, you know, this amount of Bitcoin. And before you know it. You think more about what it's going to cost you in Bitcoin than it is what it's going to cost you in your local currency. Yeah, I think it'll be a while, though, before we aren't valuing things in U.S. dollars. I mean, I don't think there's any. Um, I don't think that's going to happen for a while, um, personally. And I could be wrong, but I like the idea of pricing things in sats. I think that's a really great way to do it. I think it'd be hard to um work in bitcoin and go into a store and you see a shirt you want and it's point oh 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 one bitcoin i mean what in the hell how much money is that but they could mentally handle sats 
you know, yeah. 5,000 or 50,000 sats or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You start doing the math the other direction versus mm -hmm. backwards. You start going forwards. Yeah, most people can't even tell you what a third of 100 is. <laughs> so, I mean, you walk up. I'm, I promise you, if you go stand on the corner and you ask 100 people just walking in the street what a third of 100 is, 80% are going to say math. Their answer is going to be math wasn't my best subject. Yeah. And you go, did you take it even though? Yeah, you know, that's, I don't want to get political, but it seems to be the case where the sciences, the math and science seems to be when you ask people what their favorite subjects in school are, they never say math or science. They always say history or English or PE or something like that. And um, it's really not a wonder why people don't understand what the Federal Reserve is doing to our money system and how it's really degrading our ability to to purchase things and to to live our best life. Yeah, I used to, I had a friend of mine who told me that he asked all his uh, new employees, he had a decorating store, if they, what a third of a hundred was. That's where I come up with that. He said, most of them can't, most people don't know. And I said, oh, that's bullshit. Excuse me. I said, that's BS. Everybody knows what that is. And he goes, no, they don't, Gary. And this was 30 years ago. And so I started asking people, because I ran a retail store that, if they didn't know what a third of a hundred was, I didn't want them counting my money. You know, uh, yeah. you know, for me. And I found out most, uh, like I said, most people don't know what a third, most people don't know anything about math. They don't know anything about finance. They don't know how to balance a checkbook. These are skills people aren't taught. You know, they just, uh, they don't know not to spend all their money on credit cards, how finance works. They, people just don't know a lot of this stuff. And, you know, and that's one thing about Bitcoin. It does actually make you want to learn about money. Um, when you, once you go down the rabbit hole, the rabbit hole in Bitcoin is more than just, okay, I went down the rabbit hole. Why do you say that? Cause I started buying Bitcoin. That's not the rabbit yeah, hole. That's, that's just like, hole. yeah, that's just something that happens in the rabbit hole. But when you go down the rabbit hole, you start wanting to know about money. Why is Bitcoin uh, good money? And why is dollars, why are dollars bad money? You want to start knowing these things. And I don't run into too many people who don't, that's not like, once in a while, someone thinks that way and they want to find out more about Bitcoin and more about wealth and more about, and then they start finding about the gold standard and they never knew about that. And they start finding about, you know, the petrodollar and all these rabbit holes that you go down once you go in it. So that's the norm for someone who goes down the rabbit hole, not the rarity that someone does. It'd be rare not to go down the rabbit hole and start investigating all these things. And then People start saving money, actually, which they never did before. Maybe they never saved any money. Maybe they're 25 and they don't have $10 in the bank. All of a sudden, they start going, hey, I don't need that case of beer. I could buy, I don't know how many sats that would be because I didn't know what a case of beer costs. Too but much. I could buy, huh? Too much. <laughs> too much. Yeah, <laughs> too much in the last two years. But all of a sudden, they start not wanting, they start thinking about, wow, do I want to drink that beer? Do I want that pack of cigarettes? Do I want that candy bar? Or would I rather have more sats? And they actually start saving money. They become, actually, they become conservative, you yeah. know, on their finances once they go down. To, actually, politicians, conservative politicians ought to really be pushing Bitcoin because it, it actually helps the people they want voting for them, you know, to yeah. be more on their page. It's incredibly interesting to watch Cynthia Lummis in uh, in the Senate talk about Bitcoin and really be a good advocate for us in, in the Senate and to see what kind of struggle she's having there. Because I think a lot of people would, would recognize and uh, sympathize with her because we're all experiencing that same thing in our own families. You know, I, come from, uh, I have a very small family. I mean, it's just me, my wife and our two kids. 
and um, both her parents are deceased, uh, my mother's deceased, and all of our grandparents are deceased. So other than my brother and his two kids, that's really our family. But my, my mother's family was very large and they had a lot of kids. And so I keep in contact with some of my cousins on that front. And only one of my cousins buys Bitcoin. And he was uh, unfortunately one of the individuals who got caught up in the Voyager uh, collapse. And um, we didn't talk about Bitcoin soon enough. And I, so I didn't I wasn't able to help him get his his Bitcoin into self-custody before it was too late uh, he was able to get some of it off the exchange, but not all of it because they capped how much money you could take off the exchange at any particular day. Um, but even he says that his his mom teases him about it, his dad teases him about it, his brothers don't even his brother and sister don't even want to talk about it. But he's out there and he's only buying Bitcoin and he's rebuilding his position of everything that he lost. So you know, like you were saying. Uh, the Bitcoin rabbit hole is so much more than just buying Bitcoin. It's like buying Bitcoin is just like you recognize that there's a rabbit and you recognize he lives in a hole. But yeah, that actually makes you go in the hole. But buying Bitcoin is the potion or uh, is that hole that Alice went in. Uh-huh. That's the hole. And then you go down that hole because you bought Bitcoin. Not you didn't go down the hole and find Bitcoin. Bitcoin took you down the hole. Yeah. And what you find is or at least what I've found over the last five years is I'll go through spats of intense research where, you know, eight hours a day, all I'll be doing is listening to podcasts and watching videos and listening to audiobooks and reading books about Bitcoin. And then you kind of get burned out. And then, you know, I'll take maybe a week or two off and I'll just kind of, uh, I figured everybody in the space that I'm interested that is talking about that subject I've already heard them so many times. I don't need to listen to them anymore because I understand what their philosophy is and I understand what they're teaching in that in that group. And I think to myself, what am I going to find? What am I going to do now? You know, okay, yeah, I have Bitcoin. And you, you know, you kind of go, it's almost like a depression in a sense where you are so excited about it. You start learning about it and then you're like, okay, I got it now. Now I have it. I have it. It's, it's secured. I got the knowledge that I need. And then after about two weeks, some other rabbit hole idea will come up with within the same space. You know, you have the nodes, you have the mining, you have the lightning network, you have all of these Bitcoin only exchanges that are building, you have the banking system, you have self custody. Uh, there's just so many different things that you can go down. It's it, it makes sense why people would get overwhelmed in the beginning of all the of all the subjects that you could go down. But I think, like you said, it's just about buying it and just whatever you're interested in starting that. Um, that educational process and see where it leads you. Yeah. And the real shame is that um, people, there's so many people trying to uh, steal your Bitcoin by scamming you and talking you into, uh, or steal your money by talking you into buying other things, you know, and I think it's natural for a person to buy some Bitcoin and maybe it's almost a phase. If someone's not, uh, with them enough, talking to them enough to buy Bitcoin and go, gosh, I got some of this Bitcoin that went from a nickel to $17,000. Man, if I can buy one of these things at a fraction of a penny and it just goes to a penny, I mean, that must be possible because Bitcoin went from, you know, nothing to 17000 So I'll take a chance. And they start, you know, getting involved with, um, you know, altcoins. And next thing you know, every cycle, they all lose their money. They all get taken advantage of, whether it was ICOs. I don't know. What are NFTs worth now? Are they worth anything? I've not kept up with those, but I would have a feeling they've been doing like ICOs. I mean, I bet the market on those has dropped like crazy. I heard uh, like a week after all the Trump 
NFTs sold out that the the price of those things just like dropped to the floor. Yeah, I can believe it. I mean, and I mean, there were so many people coming out with NFTs selling. I have a friend of mine who's I I feel is a really smart individual, and he called me up and said, "Hey, I'm thinking about getting the Bitcoin. I know you're into it." I said, "Yeah, blah blah blah." Gave him a Bitcoin maximalist view of it. He goes, "Well, I'm gonna buy. Gosh, I think he's gonna buy like five hundred thousand dollars worth of um, Ethereum. He decided to instead because he thought it had more features." And then all of a sudden I look and he's buying all these NFTs. I don't know where he's at now. I mean, I don't know how much he's lost. You yeah, know? I had I had a buddy who was kind of doing the same thing. He's a super highly intelligent. He is part of Menza, which is that, you know, genius yeah. club thing. And when we first started talking about business uh, Bitcoin, we were looking at going into a business together and talking to financial institutions about educating them on Bitcoin and doing some presentations and, and that kind of thing. And before I knew it, he was like, I'm not going to mine Bitcoin. I'm going to mine Litecoin. And then so he bought a big Litecoining rig and he started mining that coin. And, you know, now Litecoin is nobody even talks about it. It's kind of a dead protocol. I don't understand. I don't even understand the thought process behind Litecoin. I mean, I know Litecoin is silver to Bitcoin being gold. Why do you need silver? Just buy half as much Bitcoin. I mean, you're yeah. afford them. That makes no sense. The reason I mean, why silver exists is because <laughs> you, it's it's hard to to buy anything with one ounce of gold, right? You need yeah. a smaller denomination. Right, right, and it has other uses. Like maybe you can use it for. Uh, solar panels or something but the main reason is it's a smaller commodity to carry around smaller in value you can you know a gold coin is worth a lot of money you need a smaller coin you can only shrink those coins so much before they get so small you can't carry them around but that makes no logic in crypto to have a silver yeah just have instead of one have point five i mean you know i mean or you know and go down to further you know point oh 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 one whatever but uh yeah, that whole concept makes no money to me. And, and the guy who uh, started it, you know, I, I can't think of his name right now, sold huh. out when it was at an all-time high of $300, sold all of it. Yeah, and he said, I I'm doing this because I'm getting too much scrutiny and uh, I want to be um, a, a neutral uh, actor in this space. So yeah. I'm selling all of my Litecoin. And it was like I said, it was a all time high back in 1700, 300, 350, a coin, whatever it was, never hit that again. Is it Charlie got, Lee? Was that his name? Charlie Lee. Yeah, that's it. Bobby Lee's his brother. Yeah. Who makes that wallet that I think's a bad deal too. But yeah, Charlie Lee. Yeah. He cleaned up off of it. He just copied Bitcoin code, increased it fourfold, I believe, made four times as much instead of 21 million. 84 yeah. million, I guess, called it Litecoin and sold at $350, you know, a coin. Yeah, that I, I still don't understand what even the thoughts are on Litecoin, why anyone would think that would have a use. Well, I, I say the same thing about Ethereum and Polygon and basic attention token and uh, Ripple or XRP and, and all those other altcoins that really don't have a use case. And their value is really only derived because exchanges just don't unlist them, right? right. I mean, Coinbase, Coinbase unlisted XRP because of the SEC um, litigation that's taking place. Yeah, that's the only reason. Yeah, because they just didn't want the exposure to it. 
But a lot of these coins, like Dogecoin, like nobody, no exchange, no legitimate exchange should have Dogecoin on it because it's it's a joke token. And, you know, people make fun of it. And the only reason why it gets anybody buying it is because people are making fun of it. So people are talking about it. So people are aware of it. And they think like what you were saying, Bitcoin is $17,000. That's too expensive. For $10, I can buy a million you know, I can buy a million Dogecoin. And if it goes up, you know, one cent, then I double my money versus right. Bitcoin having to go up to 34,000 in order to double. And I think it was um, when uh, Musk bought Twitter, it was going up because they all thought it was going to be on Twitter because of him posting about it. Now I think it's dumped because they realize it's not going to be on Twitter, you know? So yeah people but that's like i said that's a natural move for someone to that moves into crypto to think that um they don't realize there's bitcoin and then there's twenty thousand cryptocurrencies i mean yeah. they're not the same thing while bitcoin is a cryptocurrency it's not the same as the other twenty thousand cryptocurrencies it's the only one that is a decentralized protocol with a limited supply of 21 million yeah you know it kind of goes back to the whole uh uh block wars or block size wars when there was a lot of discrepancy on how much information could be stored in one block and how quickly transactions took place you know you had people like um oh gosh i'm happy that i can't remember his name right now because he's really irrelevant but uh, the uh, Bitcoin Judas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there's been a few of them. Right. Um, but most uh, Craig Wright, not Craig Wright. Uh, no. who, who did uh, Craig Wright made the fork off of Bitcoin cash. Right. Right. Yeah. The guy who did Bitcoin cash was. I can't think of his name either. Oh, right? man. How do, we, how do we forget these names? He's become pretty irrelevant. To be honest with me. He was Bitcoin Jesus. He was yeah. the biggest promoter of Bitcoin now. And actually. New people have no idea who he is. Good. You know, that mean if you're new into Bitcoin, you've been in Bitcoin a year, you probably have no idea who this person is if he said his name. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the other thing people don't realize is Bitcoin is an asset that is changed. I mean, it's changeable in the not in its monetary Roger Veer. Roger Veer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bitcoin is upgradable. Uh, in its in its basic form from how the protocol can be used and how you can build upon it. But it's not upgradable in the sense of how many uh, coins can be issued or the the speed of each block, uh, you know, on average, every 10 minutes, a block. But you can uh, upgrade it to have more Satoshis in a Bitcoin. Right. You can add more decimal places to it. Yeah. So it's infinitely that, divisible. That'd probably be but, hard to get accomplished to get everybody agree on, but it would be possible to do. Right. Which is one of the features of Bitcoin um, is that you need such a high consensus level in order to make any changes to the protocol. But, you know, when uh, what, back in 2016 or 2017, when the protocol, uh, when the, the, the block size wars had just finished happening, and they were looking at ways to increase the amount of information that could be stored in, in each block. And so they did some upgrades to it to allow for that to happen. And um, because of that, we got things like the Lightning Network. We got things, you know, now with the with the latest upgrade, now you can do uh, multi-sig 
um, transactions on there. And you get a lot of the functionality that the Ethereum network was initially planning with smart contracts. Now you can start building those items into Bitcoin because of some of the newer upgrades. But as far as the monetary policy of Bitcoin, that's unchangeable. And that's what you want unchangeable. Right, right. And and that's what happens when you have proof of work like that, too, in the way Bitcoin set up versus uh, Ethereum and proof of stake, which I don't understand that at all. But, you know, I think the problem is most people don't realize, and you can use Ethereum as an example, that, you know, Ethereum is so centralized that they've done it in the past. They've rolled back the blockchain, you know, to make a correction or to save someone who lost their, their Ethereum. They can do whatever they want with that. Yeah. They could decide tomorrow to make twice as many. They could decide tomorrow to roll it back uh, to yesterday or to last month. They can do whatever they want to with that. Yeah, and people so, don't realize that's why there's an Ethereum and an Ethereum Classic. Right. People it's think because, the Ethereum Classic is a branch of Ethereum, where yeah, Ethereum Classic like is the cash. original. No. Yeah, that's the yeah. original. And it was the and, Dow uh, They have taken that, that off of it. Uh, I think they have taken that off of Coinbase, though. They uh, did? For some reason. Oh. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't know. that confuses me. They should take all seven. If they took all, you know, 20,000 coins that they offered off of uh, their exchange, of course, they wouldn't make as much money, which is why they don't do it. But they'd be doing a much more ethical thing in uh, helping society have a, a, a more stable, uh, usable form of money. You know, when uh, I started Coinbase, they had three coins there, Bitcoin, Litecoin and Ethereum. And it was a super big deal when they added um, Bcash. It was like, and that's what made the money. I mean, Bcash go up so fast. Yeah. You know, that and his promotion team, you know, promoting this is the real Bitcoin and newbie. Yeah. Buying the domain Bitcoin.com. Oh my gosh. You can tell me if you are the owner of Bcash and you buy the name Bitcoin.com. And when people come to your website to buy Bitcoin and they get Bcash, that you aren't like purposely misleading them. Yeah. They didn't even know what Bcash was. You know, they just know that they see the word Bitcoin and go, well, I want some of this Bitcoin. This is cheaper than that other Bitcoin. I'll take this Bitcoin instead, you know, because they just don't know enough. And it's kind of one of those lessons learned, too. I was talking to a Bitcoin maximalist not too long ago that's on Twitter, and uh, we were having the same sort of um, challenge during that time because there was a lot of false media reports about how when Bcash was going to split from Bitcoin that... It would put too much pressure on the blockchain and um, exchanges weren't sure if the software would continue to run as it was supposed to run. And so the best thing that you could do was just to sell it all and wait for the fork to take place. And then once you felt comfortable, buy back. And so a lot of us who were new in this space, who were still looking at the legacy financial industry as the um, the fact checkers and the most knowledgeable about these types of, uh, well, any asset really, or any commodity. Um, they knew better than us because they were in it every day. And so a lot of us sold our Bitcoin and waited for the, for the fork to happen uh, and then bought back only to miss out on one of the best uh, dividends Bitcoin was paying back in the time, which is if you had, you know, five Bitcoin and the fork happened, now you had five Bitcoin and five Ethereum. And I think Ethereum, or excuse me, five uh, Bitcoin cash. Right. And I think it was at priced at like, it was either $1,200 or $2,400 per coin. And so what the smartest people did who were in the know 
they stayed in the uh, in the Bitcoin. They got their Bitcoin cash, and then they immediately sold their Bitcoin cash and bought more Bitcoin with it. So they were almost able to double their stack. You used to see a lot of forks back in the day. I mean, not a lot, but you had that. You had Bitcoin gold. You had Bitcoin cash, Bitcoin gold, Bitcoin. You had all these different Bitcoins coming out. And some of them, uh, you just would collect Bitcoin. On some, you had to do some work. If you had to do some work, I never, you know, went in and filled out information and did all this to get it. But I think I still have some Bitcoin gold somewhere, you know, that I got for free. You know, I don't know where it's at. I have to find it. But I should have sold it a long time ago. That's for sure. But I didn't even think much of it. And then it, yeah. So I've lost money investing in Bitcoin by not cashing in that Bitcoin gold as soon as I got it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that one I I learned my lesson from uh from Bcash. So when that when yeah, what is it, Bitcoin SV and uh Bitcoin Gold happened, uh I, I definitely cashed those in and, and bought more Bitcoin with it. Uh you know, one of the crazy things is I actually had some gold too. I was a gold bug before I was a Bitcoin bug. And I cashed in my gold at when Bitcoin was at fifty-eight thousand and you know, transferred it all into Bitcoin. And you know, that that hasn't been the best trade in the world, too, <laughs> in the short term. I um yeah, I'm I'm really, you know, I'm not a big gold bug, but I'm really surprised that gold is not higher than it is. I mean, it must be because of all the paper gold and the um people that are controlling it trying to keep it down in price, you know. Maybe yeah, I'm not much of a gold bug anymore, but I still follow the gold and silver markets at least on a price side. And I've been it's been interesting to watch over at least the last week where gold has been going up, but silver has stayed relatively flat comparatively speaking. And uh, the only thing I can think of is I know that uh, JP Morgan Chase owns a lot of silver and they're able to manipulate that market a lot more than they can manipulate the gold market. Yeah. For instance, today, gold's up $6 and silver's down 5 Yeah. I mean, that so, gold and silver should move together. Yeah, that is just weird. I mean, I agree. I would think that they would always move together. Um, actually, I would think I would. It seems to me, and like I said, I'm not into gold and silver, but. I would think silver would move faster than gold, actually, because there really seems to me to be always the same amount of gold in the world. You know what I mean? It's it, it just goes up two percent a year. But silver is actually put into stuff mm-hmm. that you um, you know, like solar panels and uh, silver bullets for wolves. I mean, you know, it's actually put into stuff though. So you would think there'd be a decreasing amount or the amount wouldn't grow as fast um but like i said i'm not really uh into that so i haven't studied that much just up but on the top of my head i would think that would increase at a higher percentage you know if if gold was in demand by banks because they wanted to hold gold which is what i'm seeing on youtube in the titles you know federal reserve of cambodia buys gold or something you would think silver would follow suit yeah since you you know, they keep talking about how China's buying a lot of gold and um, selling a lot of the U.S. bonds. And Russia basically doesn't own any U.S. bonds anymore because of the sanctions. And they've been buying a lot of gold. That gold would be a whole heck of a lot higher, especially if the United States has all the gold that uh, Fort Knox is supposed to have. You know, you'd think there'd be like, a, you know, the U.S. would be, I guess you would consider it, you know, a gold hodler. Uh, in in that sense, where but they haven't audited, you know, the gold reserves uh, since 
maybe what the 40s or something i mean yes. i'm not even sure of the day it's been all and then they just did one room and said okay we got 50 rooms like this or whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> so even when they did it they just did one room they could have taken all they had and put in one room for all we know and yeah I got, I got a two-part question here for you are you a, are you a hobbyist i don't know what that means um uh, do you you know do you like hobbies do you do you do you have when as you were growing up did you have any hobbies like oh yeah yeah i did i did so I have, a, I have a feeling that uh, the modern day Bitcoiner, as we know him right now, uh, is something of a hobbyist in nature, because one of the things I always tell people when they get into the Bitcoin space and I tell them how great it is, and what the asset is and how you know their money is being manipulated. But it's not a passive investment. Right. You got to you got to do your research. You got to stay up to date with it. You got to be interested in the technology and in something else about Bitcoin to really keep you interested in it because there's so much change happening on a daily basis in the space. Whereas if you're not actively learning all the time about it, you could put yourself in a situation where you could sell at the wrong time. And so I'm wondering if maybe that hobbyist mentality of a Bitcoiner is one of the things that we all, one of the many characteristics we all share. I don't know. I, I never sell any. So, um, I have never thought about that. Um, I just gather information because I find it enjoyable. I'm not saying I won't ever sell it. I'm sure there'll be a price that I'll sell it at someday. I'll need some money. And if it's worth $100,000 or $1 million, I would sell one. But I don't know at my age, I don't know if I'll hit the million dollar mark because I think that's going to be 10 to 20 years away personally. So um, I so don't know. I can't answer that question. What, what's your orange pill story? Um, well, you know, I'm kind of pissed about my orange pill story because I was told about Bitcoin when it was a hundred. <laughs> um, but the guy who told me said, um, I was, I was visiting someone else, a podcaster who had their own studio and, and this podcaster rented out a couple of offices to other people, um, to help subsidize it. And one of the people I knew, they knew me from my podcast and I walked in and said, what are you doing? He said, Oh, Bitcoin, are you familiar with this? I said, I don't even know what that is. He said, oh, well, it's like online stocks. And I said, well, I'm not even interested. Don't even bother to tell me anymore. Because I wasn't interested in online stocks. And I lost enough money messing around with online stocks. So I'm kind of pissed at him for saying it was like online stocks. Because he would sell Bitcoin. People would come by and he'd give them a thumb drive and they'd pay for their Bitcoin and leave. You know, so this was kind of in the early days. And the next time I was told about Bitcoin, it was around a thousand dollars. A friend of mine, Adam Curry, who was real big into podcasting, he was telling me about it. I was talking about it, and but uh, I didn't really retain enough of the information. I think a lot of people like this; they need three shots at it, two, uh, three taps to get it. The third time was when I got into Bitcoin. I was speaking at a conference, a marketing conference, and coming out of the hallway, I saw. Four or five people I knew all talking and I went over and one of them uh, was talking about Bitcoin to the other ones. And it was about halfway there in a conversation and uh, they left and I said, hey, that sounds really interesting because he explained it as an Internet protocol. And I know this sounds crazy, but that really interested me because I started my first e-commerce site like in 96. You know, so I'd been in the Internet in a long time. I said, well, can you tell me what I missed on this conversation. We sat on the couch. It was like one o'clock and at six o'clock, the conference was closing for the day and we were still sitting on the couch. So he interested me enough that I listened to a podcast on the way home. 
And when I got home, I called him up and said, Hey, are you going to be at that conference tomorrow? And he goes, yeah. I said, I wasn't going to go, but could I come and we talk? And he goes, sure. So I drove back over to Dallas and we spent about three hours on the couch talking and went over to his house and he was mining and he showed me about mining and stuff. And I went home that night and bought Bitcoin, you know, so it just needed to be presented to me in the proper aspect. And that's a weird thing to find interesting is the fact it was an internet protocol, but that made sense that, the, you know, the internet has a protocol for everything, has a protocol for video, for security but the only thing that's missing on the internet or was missing was a protocol for money you know there wasn't one because no one figured out how to stop the double spend you know just copying the file because bitcoin is just a file basically so no one figured out how to not copy the file you know and make a hundred of them or make a million of them make themselves rich but when bitcoin came out they solved that problem so that's what really got me interested right that in the conversation because i'd already been told about it twice uh, but the only thing is, I was just kind of pissed and it said, man, I'm probably too late on this deal. Like every Bitcoiner does, every new Bitcoiner. I mean, even Bitcoiners who are buying, Bitcoiners who bought at 100. So, uh, you know, if I had probably listening longer, when I had bought from 100 when he had told me about it, I'd probably go, man, I can't believe I'm buying this late at $100. You know, and the people who bought it at $1,000 said it, you know, and now the people who are buying at $17,000 are saying it. So it's not like anyone's really been orange-pilled and bought their first Bitcoin and said, well, someone probably has, but most people haven't bought their first Bitcoin and go, wow, this is the best time in the world to buy Bitcoin at all time I, you know? Um, so that's kind of common, but that that was my orange pill moment is my friend Tony telling me about. And then, you know, when we first started, we started mining, um, what were we mining? We were mining, I think maybe... Litecoin, and we set up some computers in uh, my warehouse and started mining Litecoin and uh, cashing that in for Bitcoin. You know, this was like a long time ago. We never got enough of it to mount to anything, but I was trying to learn everything I could about it. You know, so yeah. we were buy hard buying um, gaming cards and mining Bitcoin or Litecoin. Maybe it was Ethereum. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. no, it, it was uh, Zcash. That's what okay. it was. Zcash. I don't know if that's still around. I think it's still around. I think. Well, you know, the thing about again, a lot of people don't do a lot of research on this stuff, right? So the company might not be around anymore, but that doesn't mean that the token that that company had isn't still floating around on certain exchanges. And so people are buying these things, thinking that these companies really exist and that these engineers are still working on the protocol because that's the information that the exchange is given. It's like, okay, you see an asset and it's like, click here for more information. You click on it and you're like, oh, that sounds like an interesting idea. Uh, but they never go to the website. They never, you know, probably the website is still up, but there's really no way to dig into whether or not this is a viable company or not anymore. Um, I saw this morning that, you know, the same bank free deal. What was that? FTX? Uh-huh. Their, their token, they're out of business, right? They're out of business. They've declared bankruptcy. They don't have enough money to give people back the money that they owe them or the coins. And I saw this morning on TV, their uh, their tokens up uh, 15% yesterday. Yeah, FCC is up 15%. What the hell? The company's bankrupt. <laughs> this go, let's go back to the point you were saying where you know nobody knows how much of a third of $100 is. Everybody just wants something for free. Nobody wants to do any research. There was a an idea that I tell my friends uh, and, and my wife all the time is kind of a joke now. I say, if you want to make a million dollars, all you have to do is figure out a way to make people dumber. And if you can do that and make their life simpler, you have a million dollar idea on your hand. 
And it really seems to be that that case where people don't want to do their own research anymore. They just want to hear it from somebody else and then take it as their own gospel and then act upon it. And it's the most dangerous thing people can do. Um, and I and I and I say that so simply because back in 2006, 2007, when I was in my mid 20s, um, I did a lot of that kind of same stuff and I got completely wrecked. And ultimately, you know, I had my, my degree in finance, but what they don't really teach you about money and economics uh, with that degree, which is kind of baffling to me as I look back on it now. And you know, I thought I knew everything. And then all of a sudden, the financial crisis happened and I lost my job and I couldn't get hired and my debt started piling up and I was rolling over credit cards from one higher interest rate down to a lower interest rate, taking the 0% uh, six month you know, free kind of deal. And I, I had an investment property and I ended up losing everything and had to file bankruptcy and uh, the whole nine yards and, and move from a, a large apartment down into a 600 square foot studio apartment, cockroach infested studio apartment and really kind of lick my wounds and take a hard look at myself and figure out what I did wrong and uh, forgive myself and, and, and rebuild it back. And I just feel like with all of this manipulation that's happening in the marketplace right now from the Federal Reserve, that people have lost that lesson and they don't remember uh, the lessons that should have been taught and remembered from the 2008 financial crisis. I'm starting to get checks in the mail for my credit cards for 0% interest now. You're starting to see variable rate interests on, on uh, real estate mortgages starting to pop back up in there. Uh, low, no, uh, no down payment type stuff. Uh, no, um, no checking of assets or, you know, jobs for qualifying for loans. Now it's this whole thing is replaying itself. Yeah, I watched that movie this morning. That's funny. Uh, Too big to fail. I had not seen that movie. Have you watched that yet? I don't. I I, I don't know. Tell me. Talk a little bit. It's about, about uh, the the housing bubble bust and um, everything. It's a really good movie. I didn't know how close we came to like uh, the whole financial market melting. Is that a Netflix movie or? No, it's a Google. I think it's um. I think Google might have done it. I'm not sure. I, I found it on Google TV. Yeah, okay. I searched. I no, I searched Google or uh, YouTube. I searched YouTube, found it, and bought it, and rented it on YouTube. Because uh, someone I was, I made a post the other day that I just got through watching The Big Short and um, another movie. I can't remember what the other one was. And margin someone said, call. Well, you need, huh? Margin call. Yeah, margin call. And someone said you need to finish the trilogy, trilogy and watch Too Big to Fail. So I said okay. So I went on YouTube, searched it, and it cost like three bucks. So I said, what the hell. I watched it. And it was a very interesting movie. I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's a very interesting movie. I didn't know. I knew there was issues in a bank went out of business and all this, but I didn't realize how big it was. I mean, they almost took down the whole world's market. Yeah. You know? So it was much bigger than I thought. Um, yeah. But that was interesting talking about that. It's funny talking about credit cards. That's a good thing for vendors too. That I don't think. I don't think when you talk about Bitcoin, enough people um, realize the potential to help stores and retailers since I'm a retailer. I mean, I was in the retail business for 40 years, running a couple of retail stores and maybe 40 retail websites. But, you know, we used to get hit so often by chargebacks that we would send it out and it turned out it was a stolen credit card, you know, but the credit card processor ran it thinking it was a good credit card and we would lose most of our cases. So we got to the point that, 
if the and this is terrible, it got to the point that if they bought over three hundred dollars, we had a person that just went online looking up the house address, you know, trying to figure out if it was a legit house, you know, what it was. And you, you could tell sometimes you go, there's no way this guy's buying four thousand dollars worth of softball equipment. This house is a dilapidated house no one lives in, you know, looking at it on Google, the video stuff. So that's a big thing for Bitcoin is you don't have that happen. You don't have chargebacks like that. And you're not paying these giant fees. And most people don't realize that. I've been uh, working with a company called Oshi. Are you familiar with Oshi? Uh, you, did you, is this the company that you just had on your Bitcoin Boomer yeah. podcast? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oshi.team slash Gary is my link there. But if someone's got a store, I recommend they go to that site and investigate. Because nowadays... Most people are using Square or Toast, the tablets for their shopping carts in the store, you know, for their checkout. It's a simple implementation that you put on there that takes no time at all. And if someone comes in the door and they see you accept Bitcoin, some people go, oh, can I pay in Bitcoin? And you pay less fees on that. You just made more money and you have no chargeback chance. I don't know how big coffee shop chargeback would be compared to my store. But um, that's something I, I don't think people put enough thinking and talking about is how much they talk about how that helps people, but they don't talk about how Bitcoin helps businesses too. I mean, it helps everybody. I mean, it's not just a personal thing about you're going to make more money. You're going to make some money. I think um, altcoin people, they just want to make money. That's all they're concerned about. But Bitcoiners want to change the world. Yeah, don't get me wrong. They don't mind making money, but they realize they have the potential to change the world. And when you're talking about changing the world, you're not just talking about spending how much money people have, changing how much money people have. You're talking about changing shopping as we know it, uh, everything, you know. So, and shop, like I said, shopping and things like that are a big part of that. You know, go to PayPal where they yank the money out of your account, they freeze it and say, hey, you got to prove this is a legit sale. And you go through all the stuff. They go, yeah, turns out that was a stolen credit card. We were wrong to like allow it, you know. Um, so, that won't happen with PayPal. You know, one of the things that I appreciate about the um, the the greatest generation and then the boomer generation is the idea that your generation has has a sense of accountability for what your um, how you're acting in society. Not everybody, not anybody, not everybody in any generation, but on the whole, that's kind of the the thought process behind it. And then the Generation Xers and the Millennials, I'm like right on the line between those two. There's there's a change in philosophy on how my generation really thinks about money. You know, in, in your generation, it was primarily growing up. There was no credit cards, right? Everything right. was done in cash, which is basically the Bitcoin standard. You don't use leverage. You don't use credit. Um, the Lightning Network and the, what you're talking about with these retail uh, service um, payment processors. It's it's basically cash. There's no there's no loan involved in there like the the Visa card or Mastercard or American Express. You know those are basically bridge loans. That money isn't actually the money you're getting isn't from the customer just yet. It's from Visa and then mm -hmm. Visa you know ACH is your bank account and they they pay the loan back and that's they take it back. anytime they want to take yeah. it back. I mean, yeah, you know, I was, the, the three that's and not really, that's not really all of the, um, 
millennials or Zs or whatever you want to call it fault that they depend on credit cards and no 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 i mean we were we were taught that way we were we and were now to... we're, i was in hawaii last month i was stopped by a starbucks they wouldn't even take my cash they wouldn't even accept my cash they said we don't accept cash here and i was like what do you mean you know, i was really kind of confused i said what do you mean they said we don't accept cash and i said well gosh we're just out for a walk and i just threw ten dollars in my pocket thinking we'd stop somewhere along the way and have a cup of coffee or something because i drink a lot of coffee and the guy behind me said, I'll pay for it. Just give me the give me the cash. You know, and I was like, well, thanks. But that just was so weird to me that they were going to let me walk out and not make a sale rather than take cash. So that's really not there. Not only were they taught that, but that's being enforced by companies like that. They won't even take your cash. If a place won't even take your cash, why do you want to even have any? Yeah. And, you know, being a student of money my whole life, one of the things that I, the reason why I don't carry cash is because it's not insured. Right. So if my credit card gets stolen, I can file an affidavit and I can get my money back. If my cash gets stolen, I have no recourse. Yeah. So I, I don't carry a lot of cash around with me. And I think that's kind of the mindset on why companies See, don't want I to actually have. would rather carry cash around because I don't think I'm going to lose it. First of all, I never lose any money. So, I mean, I guess I could get robbed. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. what, what was Jesse James famous line? Why did you uh, rob banks? Because that's where the money was. Yeah, that's a good line. <laughs> so uh, I, I think it has a lot to do with that. And as we, as you were saying earlier about one of the reasons why you got into Bitcoin is because you realized that everything was becoming digital. And the only thing that we didn't have digitized was the money. And now the money is, has, it is basically digitized. You know, there's only a fraction of hard currency out there compared to uh, virtual yeah. money. And it's just a matter of time. Now, I would say that I do think within five years, and I think that might be a long time period, that we will be having a digital, a U.S. digital currency. We really already we, do. Uh, yeah, I we mean, do, but the, it's not like to the point where it's like cash is not in existence. I mean, I think within five years that it's very possible that we don't have cash anymore or that it's like used so, so hard to use that nobody wants it because maybe – there's only one bank in every city where you can go cash it in like once a week, mm -hmm. you know, like in uh, Switzerland or whatever. It's just so hard to use. Maybe it's not illegal, but you're not going to use it because it's a mess to use. I mean, to me, cash isn't that hard to use to me, you know, um, but it, it could be made very hard to use if nobody hardly accepts it and you can't deposit it in your bank when you get a lot of it. You know, I, I just see that as being a predetermined thing. It's just a matter of time. You know, one of the things that makes Japan such a prime candidate for uh, Bitcoin and why they've had such a good adoption curve there is because of the, you know, the Japanese financial crisis that took place back in the 80s or early 90s. Uh, and people lost complete faith in the banking system and they started hoarding all of their cash because they didn't trust to put the, the cash in in the banks. And, you know, you're starting to see it in Lebanon now where people are going to the bank with guns to rob the bank for their own money. And, you know, the banks are starting to put in bulletproof glass and steel doors so people can't have access to their money. Uh, in Japan, with the uh, Fukushima disaster and the tsunami that hit there, uh, a few days after the tsunami was over and the tide started coming back in, the beaches were flooded with people's furniture. And inside this furniture were, was cash everywhere because... They didn't trust the banking system. And so I, I think you're right. I think there's going to be this time where I think the prime candidate for people to become Bitcoiners are people who have learned that the banks are not their friends. You know, they are not this um, 
this safety net, this security web that we think it is. You know, when you give your money over to the bank, it's basically you're giving them ownership of your money. And they're telling you uh, through trust that they may or may not give it back to you. And yeah, because so, it's not your money anymore once you put it in there. Yeah. I mean, it's not yours. It's not, and it's not technically, it's not your money. <laughs> it's their and, money. And I think what we're going to find is when they do ultimately get rid of all the cash in the system is you'll be using your cash. You'll be spending it at the retail and the retailer will take it to the bank so that it could be put into the bank account. And then that mash, that money will never come back out again. Well, you know, when COVID hit, was that 21? 20, um, yeah. I sent my wife, I didn't send my wife, my wife, we talked and we decided, you know, maybe we need to pull some cash into the house here. I said, go to the bank and get $8,000 out. Let's just pull out $8,000 right now to have a little spending cash. And she went to the bank and they wouldn't give it to her. They said, all you can have is $3,000. And my wife was really, I was not surprised when she told me this story, but she being a Bitcoiner and having gone down the rabbit hole and stuff, I wasn't surprised at all. But she was like, I'm confused. I have a lot of money in this bank and I only want $8,000 of it. And you're saying I can only have three. Yeah, that's all you can have. You can come back tomorrow and try again. Um, how do I know it won't be less tomorrow? Well, I don't know what it'll be tomorrow, but you can only have three today. So she got her $3,000 and left, you know, totally disgusted with the whole deal. Then we went back up to the bank a week later to clear out our, by the same means. I said, we shouldn't have anything in there. So we went up to the safety deposit box to empty out our safety deposit box, the bank one o'clock in the afternoon was actually closed with a sign saying we're closed temporarily. If you need to get into your safety deposit box, give us a call this number and we'll get back to you. We gave them a call a week later, maybe 10 days later, we got a call back that we could come get our stuff out of our safety deposit box. Now, if you were, you know, if I had my passport in there and I was flying and I said, Oh, I'll just run up there a couple of days before. Well, that would have been a killer, wouldn't it? I couldn't get in to get my passport. But the banks, people just, we grew up trusting the banks. They were going to do us right. They knew what's going on. They are only after one thing, taking care of themselves and making money. You know, that's the whole reason the 2008 debt thing, you know, with all those swaps, you know, happened. So as they were just making so much money, they didn't care. They started finding, you know, after they got rid of all the customers who could afford to buy a house, they started changing how much money you had to put down to buy a house and how much credit you needed because they had no one to do default swaps with. So they kept doing it low and lower for long. You didn't have to put down any money, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you're talking to people who are in your own uh, age group, how do you broach the subject of Bitcoin with them? And what kind of questions do you get? And what type of uh you know well, it's according it's according to where bitcoin's at you know in the marketplace um you know when bitcoin was 16 that I mean sixty thousand dollars i was getting phone calls and texts and i had people from i hadn't talked to since high school calling me you know wanting to know about bitcoin it's certainly a lot easier to orange pull someone when bitcoin is up sixty seventy thousand dollars than it is when it's down sixty percent now no one's interested and if they do they all say things to me like oh god you okay gary I'm really worried about you you know like i'm all down you know my luck or something so um i really don't spend a lot of time trying to convince people it's the right thing if they ask me questions i'll answer their questions but um 
I try to present myself from, I think when I, I think when I, in the past, like 2018, 17, 19, if people asked me about Bitcoin, I would be like, oh my gosh, let me tell you about it. And I'd be like, my wife would be going, quit talking about Bitcoin. If we go to that party at night, do not bring up Bitcoin. You know, so now I'll answer people's questions and talk about a few minutes. But, you know, what what happens is, here's the deal. I'll give you an example. I told a friend of mine when Bitcoin was moving up to 70, I said, hey, 69, whatever, moved up to. I called him up and said, hey, I've known you like since second grade. I said, are you paying any attention to what's happening with Bitcoin? He goes, no, I'm not paying any attention. I said, he goes, I bought that Bitcoin you told me to buy a few years ago. Uh, back in 2017, I said, well, have you looked at that since then? He goes, no, and I've never looked at it again. I said, well, go look at that. And he, I guess he logged in. He said, oh, my gosh, that's doing really good. And I said, yeah, yeah, I thought you'd keep buying it if I told you about it, not this one-time deal. And he goes, well, what should I do? I said, well, go to Swan and start dollar cost averaging by $50 a month, $100 a month, whatever your budget right now allows you to do. And he said, okay. Then he called me a on the beach like a month later and it was like $60,000. It was just want to let you know, I bought blah, blah, blah. And he bought quite a bit. And I said, man, I told you to buy like a little bit each week or each month. He goes, yeah, but I figured I'd go ahead and get it a lot of it. Then it started going down. So now it's gone down from 60 to 17. He still got it, but I'm sure that he's like in the back of his mind going, man, I can't believe Gary got me into this. Because he's called me before and asked me if he should sell or not. I said, no, not now. You've taken most of the hit. You might as well stay with it now. So really, I don't really work on trying to orange pill people because people of my age uh, uh, have been working a long time to save that money. You know, it's like savings that they've been building their whole life. And if they put it in, like at the right time, like I had another friend that threw in like a hundred at uh, ten thousand. He's still t- he's still fine, you know. But this guy bought on the other end, you know. And so I don't want to be responsible for causing anyone issues, even though I could be responsible for saving their 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 wealth or creating wealth. I just don't. I don't think on the downside it's worth it. You know, I'll answer any questions. You know, I don't avoid it. I'm all over. Anyone who knows me at all knows I'm heavily into it. So I'm willing to answer, but I'm not going to be like trying to orange pill people, you know, um, pushing it down their throat until they get it. Yeah, I like that idea. We're not we're not financial advisors here. We don't have any licensing for that. We're not. You know, we're 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 trying to educate people and help them understand what people think they're doing. And which I did doing people a favor. It's like religion. It's like um, the Mormons or something. Uh, not the Mormons, maybe, but like the, the, the who are the guys with the bicycles that ride around with the white shirts knocking on doors? Mormons, so, yeah. Is it, okay, it's like them. It's the Jehovah Witnesses, who I want to use as an example. Okay, yeah. It's like the one. Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, I don't know a lot about Jehovah Witnesses, but I have an old friend who became a Jehovah Witness. And a Jehovah Witness believes that only like a number, a certain number of people can go to heaven. Maybe 70,000. I don't know the number, but there's a limited amount of people who can go to heaven in the Jehovah Witness uh, thing. So they're going door to door 
trying to save people, but they really don't think it's going to help them get to heaven. You know, where most religions, if you are a good guy and you believe in God and Jesus or whatever your religion is, you're going to go to heaven. But in the Jehovah Witness, you aren't going to heaven. Because believe me, there are way, anyone born today, the chances of them being a stronger, just use Christianity, for example, stronger Christian than the other 80,000 people who've lived in eternity is pretty slim. You got a lot of competition. You got Mother Teresa, you got Moses, you got a, you got a lot of stiff competition. So the odds are slim. They're going to be the ones going to heaven if they're a Jehovah Witness. They're doing it because they want to help people out because they can have life on earth, they believe, after. So they're doing it to help these other people get life on earth because none of them are going to heaven. Now, Bitcoiners are the same way to a degree. That's kind of a short explanation. Of it. But Bitcoiners believe that they are helping other people, not because they're getting any wealth personally. They don't believe that their friend Joe is going to buy enough Bitcoin to make Bitcoin go to the moon. So they're not buying it for personal wealth. They're buying it to help people out, just like the Jehovah Witnesses are going door to door to help people out, not thinking that's going to make them go to heaven. So that's why I say Bitcoiners, especially new Bitcoiners, are like Jehovah Witnesses. They're wanting to go spread the gospel so they can help other people find, see the light, you know? Yeah. They're, they're Does that make any sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're passionate about the asset. They, they're, the, the veil has been lifted for them. You know, they, they see behind the, the propaganda and the gaslighting of the politics and the media on on what money is and how it's been how we've been educated on it or not been educated on it and they want to help others get up to speed with where they're at so that and and they're doing it just to be a nice guy and help out the other person with no personal profit coming from it yeah yeah i mean this isn't a ponzi scheme this isn't a get rich quick Thing. And there's no way their friend's going to buy enough. I don't care if they're Michael Saylor. They're not buying enough to make the price change. Yeah. You know, and show that guy any reasonable amount. Yeah. You know, um, so, um, like I said, that, that's just something I say a lot because I think it's true. I mean, people think that this is like a multi level marketing uh, yeah. campaign that, that yeah. Bitcoin has. And it's, it's not at all. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, TikTok, next block, Bitcoin doesn't care if you buy it or not. Um, we don't care if you buy it or not. You just need it's to a, be- it's and I've been asked many times, not many times, but several times. People go, okay, how are you making money off of this? You know, when I explain Bitcoin to them, they ask me about it. I go through the whole spiel, and then then I go, okay, I think I understand it now. Where where do you make your money at on this? And I go, well, I don't, I don't make any on this. I mean, so people, some people still think you're making some money off of that. Um, you know, yes, one of the so. concepts, uh, I've, I've always been a student of money. And one of the concepts that I was, when I was helping my wife learn more about money, I used to always ask her, you know, what is money? And she would come up with all sorts of different types of things. You know, uh, it's, you know, it's it's savings. It's uh, used to buy things with. It's uh, an exchange, uh, you know, for, for whatever. And like, no, it's none of that. It's options. All money is, is options. More money, more options. Less money, less options. That's it. Uh, I love how Michael Saylor talks about money being energy. You know, we, we expend our energy doing a, doing a job or a service for somebody else or creating something and selling that thing. We get a energy back in the form of money that then we can then use to buy goods and services that we want uh, to live our best possible life. 
that someone else used the energy. So you trade those coins for someone else's energy. Yeah, we're trading energy for energy. Yeah. That's really all we're doing, expended energy. And so Here's what... Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry, just a two, two more sentences here. So what Bitcoin is, is it's more options, right? Like you were talking about, if your bank closed down and you needed more money or it'll, they'll only let you take so much out a day, or if you have a safety deposit box, they won't let you get into that safety deposit box when you need to. They're basically limiting your options. So what Bitcoin allows you to do is have more options that are outside of the system that are completely in your control. So if you need something, when you need something, you can have that thing or not have that thing. The choice is yours. A hundred percent agree with you on every bit of that. Yeah, I was going to say... Um... Another thing I found in orange pilling, and maybe it's only with boomers, is I don't know how many times I've gone through my whole spiel, you know, as the, what Bitcoin is when someone asks. And when I get through, they'll go, do you have one on you? And I go, man, I've really done a bad job <laughs> if you're asking me if I have one on me, you know. So uh, now uh, sometimes like uh, I'll even... Not now because Bitcoin's down, but when Bitcoin's up and I'm getting asked all the time, I'll even carry one of those old Bitcoins with me. You know, when the gold Bitcoins, I'll go, see this? This is not a Bitcoin. Because they see those on TV all the time. Every time, you know, the new Stuart Varney's talking about Bitcoin, that coin flashes up. So they go, oh, it's a coin. They don't pay attention to the rest, you know, because people retain 30% of what you say and listen here about 10%. They just see uh -huh. more Bitcoin in a coin. So. That's really kind of funny. I always think how people will ask me and I go, man, I've done it. So I try to start my orange pilling, telling them it's not a real thing. You can't touch it. You know, so they don't. So at least ways they're listening to me and knowing that it's not a real thing from the get go. You know, that's a real thing, but it's not a physical item. They can't touch it. I, I like to get that covered first, then go into what it is. Say, here's what it's not. You know, uh -huh. so that's my tip to someone who wants to orange pill an old for it. Cover that Bitcoin is not you know, a real uh, physical product. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely uh, internet internet money, if you will. But just like when you sign on to your bank account on your phone or on your computer, uh, most people don't use checks anymore. But even the check, you know, if you write a check for $100, you know, that's, it's basically just you're writing, you're, you're signing the ability for $100 worth of value to buy something. It's not like you're, you know, you're holding physical money up. It's just, and this is only a representation of, <laughs> yeah, well, I have a picture on my wall too of some, uh, of some uh, uh, Deutschmarks that uh, are no longer in circulation. Are those those uh, big just, things? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, uh, here, hold on a second, you're all, I'll show it to you. So, Oh yeah, those top ones, they are big things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> pretty cool. And you know, all of this at one point used to hold value and none of it holds value anymore other than for, you know, uh, just just for the family. When I was at my, when my mother passed, uh, we were cleaning out the house or, or going through stuff since she lives in South Carolina. I was looking through to see if there's anything I wanted to take, you know, um, and I found an envelope in a drawer and it was filled with Confederate money. I don't know where in the hell she got it from. She's not old enough to have gotten it there, but she had this, which is worthless, you know, but I, I said, oh, I'll take that. That's kind of cool. Some worthless money. And uh, now I think it's really kind of cool because it's just an example of money that's of no value. Yeah. You know, people, people don't do enough history on, uh, on money in America. They don't realize, you know, money used to be called gold or uh, greenbacks. 
And each town, as the country was moving further west, typically the richest person in that town would start up a bank and they start printing their own currency. And the value of that currency was uh, basically based on the credit worthiness of the rich person and his his credit history of paying back debts. And so you might have a money in a town that was used regularly in that town, but no other towns would accept it because the bank in the other town didn't like the bank of the town you lived in. And so, you know, then there was this, the standardization process, but on money, you know, you, right now there's a little green circle here, mm-hmm. but that green circle, there was a, a red circle and there was a blue circle. And the red circle, I think, meant that you could exchange it for gold. And the, the blue circle meant that you could exchange it for silver. And so it was actually backed by something tangi- tang- tangible that people could hold in their hands. And now this money is backed by a green circle, which basically means that it's backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, which you also can't hold in your hand. So right. where people are like, oh, a Bitcoin, I can't. I can't hold it in my hand. It's not real. You know, life has taught me. But they always, the old people ask what it's backed by. They go, what's it backed by? <laughs> I go, what's that dollar backed by, dude? Yeah. And some of them yeah. actually still will go, what's backed by gold? <laughs> you know, I go, no, man. It hadn't been backed by gold since we were in high school. Yeah. yeah. But, 1971 um, is when that all changed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now I have a 10 cent bill from South Carolina. So, Ten cent must have been a lot of money if they'd actually print a bill for it back then, right? <laughs> and people go, well, you know, the CNBC would tell me that Bitcoin is an inflate, you know, it is not an inflation hedge. You know, there's 21 million Bitcoin and it's supposed to be an inflation hedge, but it hasn't acted like an inflation hedge because Bitcoin went from sixty thousand dollars down to seventeen thousand dollars. But it's really deceptive because they're not really taking a look at the entire time frame. That Bitcoin has been around over 14 years. Bitcoin has gone from zero to 14 yeah. up to 17,000 with its volatility and its ups and downs. But it's always from you know from down to up, you know, moving towards. But if you the right. take, but if you take uh, the the other times before the happening when it spiked, okay, it spikes, comes back down, goes along, spikes, comes back down, goes along, spikes, come, and you look at that line up till today. Well, that line's flat is how it looks. And then you see today's spike, where if you go in and increase the size of it, you see those are actual spikes and it's an uphill climb. But when you see it from today's point, you see this big thing for like this year or two, and then you see it taper off to like nothing. But that's really Uh not nothing. There's three or four big increases in that nothing, you know, where it's going up. I did the same thing with um, Apple, Apple stock. You know, back in the 80s when it was Microsoft before they became Apple. And you look at that chart, too, and it does exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. When you look at it from a 40 year time frame, that it looks like it's running along zero for a right. long time. And then all of a sudden it spikes up to 100 and then it goes back down to 12 and then it spikes up to, you know, whatever. And and now it's coming back down. So really what I, what I wanted to, to mention about that for, for boomers out there is that it is an inflation hedge in the sense when you compare it to how much new money is being entered into the system and how that price, it, it is volatile, but it's but that's why we always say dollar cost average. Don't do a lot of big chunks in Bitcoin because you never know what the price is going to be. You want to you, you want to even out that volatility curve. And it's time. funny, people go when it's 
60 go man i'd like to get into that but i really wish it would get back down <laughs> it gets back yeah. down and they don't want to get in they get you scared know? yeah 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 you, know, you buy the so, you, you buy the fomo on the way up and you you sell the fud yeah 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 so they they, they like as i always say they like people like to buy high and sell cheap you know they don't want to sell cheap buy cheap and sell high they like to buy high they ought to just buy it and whatever it is and just keep it but that's yeah. easier said than done you know the thing about Bitcoin is the higher it gets in value, the more stressful I think it can become when it drops. Even though right now it hasn't dropped as much as it does has during the other cycles, percentage-wise, um, if you own a good bit of Bitcoin, it's a ton of money, where the other ones weren't a ton of money you know, uh, in comparison to the, the value of how much money you've lost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now you're going, oh gosh, my Bitcoin is down 60. You know, like people, people won't go, oh, my Bitcoin is down 60%. It was down 70% before and 80% before. Now they go, oh my gosh, I'm down from $10 million to $4 million, you know, as an example, you know, and they go down $6 million. You know, I was only down $600,000 last time, you know, does it make any sense? Yeah. So people's thinking is different because they're relating it to dollars. They still own the same amount of Bitcoin, but they're relating it to dollars. Yeah. What so they it makes it a little be, harder for them. What they should be relating it to is network effects, right? So if you look at, uh, if you think of Apple as a communications network, a cell phone communications network, in the beginning, there wasn't a lot of value to that because there weren't a lot of people holding cell phones. And as the adoptions of cell phones started to increase, then the interoperability between the cell phones and the, and the networking and communication started to increase, which ultimately increased the value of it, similar to the internet. You know, there wasn't a lot of people with web pages. There wasn't a lot of places to go. So a lot of people yeah. didn't use the internet until people started building on, on that base layer protocol lever, level and started build, building retail stores and... Um, uh, yeah, I remember people told me I was an idiot because I wanted to sell stuff on the internet. So that's stupid as shit. No one will buy anything on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, I would. Yeah. Or nobody will use email. Everybody's using the mail. Yeah. You yeah. know, now now nobody uses the mail and everybody uses email. Yeah. So um, yeah, things and, and, change. And that's <laughs> that's really part of it, though, is being able to see the change coming, you know, and not being stuck in your ways. And that's hard. I think the older you get, the harder that is. Um, you know, when I first moved to Texas back in 79, I worked for a cable TV company. Cable TV was brand new back then. And we would actually go set up door-to-door -door salesmen to go door-to-door -door selling people cable TV subscriptions because wow. you had to explain it to them what it was. Here's what cable is. You know, you get a home box office and you get like 18 other channels and it's $7.50 a month. And we would set up in one town. We went to Hollywood, Florida, Dawson, Georgia, and came out here to Texas to set up the crew. And we'd be in a town about six months. And we'd get them going. We'd go to another town. And you'd go up to a house. That's a long way to get to the story. But going, we'd go to the house, and you'd get to – you didn't want to go to old neighborhoods. Couldn't make any money in old neighborhoods. You'd make like $10 per subscription you know, per person that signed up and they got free installation and stuff. So if you went to a young neighborhood, oh my gosh, you could clean up. I mean, you could make a ton of money in a day. You could make $300, $400 a day, which was a ton of money back then. Um, but if you went to an old person neighborhood, oh my gosh, 
you just were trying to get that done as fast as you could because you weren't going to sell anyone. They are all going, I only had three channels my whole life. That's all I ever going to need is three channels. You yeah. know, so the point I was trying to make is once the older you get, the more set you are in your ways and the less you want to change. You want to stick with what you got. You don't need anything new. You don't want to figure it out. You know, I don't want to figure out what's on channel 12 and 13 and 18, you know, so it's the same thing. Old people just don't want to change, but that is the key to uh, staying relevant and, and knowing what's good and, and foreseeing the future is being willing to accept change, you know, mm -hmm. instead of saying, oh, I'm not going to mess with that until everybody's doing it. And I have to do it, you know, where I, I pretty much go on board and say, okay, let's go ahead and get that great and see what the hell this is about, you know, on this, this tool or this software, let's see what it's about and get it over with, you know? So, you know, it seems to be also falling back on that fundamental flaw of trusting somebody else to help you live a life. Right. Cause in that philosophy also, you see a lot of people just really resting heavily on social security and social programs to uh, keep them going through the later part of their life. And while technology keeps improving and bettering people's lives and bettering people's experiences and making it easier and cheaper for people to do things, people who are set in their ways, kind of that old, dog, you know, can't teach an old dog new tricks kind of ordeal, they end up being the ones who are complaining the most about how uh, they can't seem to buy what they want any cheaper than they used to be able to to do anymore. Gas is too expensive. Cars. Well, I think stuff expensive. is damn expensive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you know, know I, I don't because... consider myself one of those people because I'm really open to change. But man, stuff is expensive. I mean, you know, and it's according to where you you come from on the end of that. You know, if you're used to seeing a gallon, of, well, I don't even know if the gas is a good one to use it on. But you know, like a Coca Cola, I like to use Coca Cola as an example. Love it. Six yeah. cents. When I think of a Coca-Cola in the back of my mind, you know, probably I always remember that little kid throwing a nickel and a penny into the Coke machine. And then I go and buy a Coke and it's $3.50 or in a restaurant, maybe $4 in a nice restaurant. I'm going, my gosh, that is expensive. If you use that ratio, yeah. you know, from six cents to three fifty, that's a lot of money. You know, using that same, that same product, you know, we got to realize that that Coke going on to another thing here, that Coke, from 1967, or no, 19, yes, 1962, when I was seven, till 1971, the dollar was backed by gold. Okay. So that Coke really didn't move much. Maybe it got up to a dime. It didn't move much at all. But the rest of that time, it started moving its $3 now. And our inflation was never like it is now. The point I was just making is it's not backed by gold. Inflation's at all time high. What is that $3.50 Coke going to cost in 40 years? If you use just the same inflation rate that you saw from $0.06 cents to three fifty, which I think it would be more. Mm -hmm. But if you just did the $0.06 cent to $3.50 inflation rate, that $3.50 Coke, that's going to be like $100. You know, uh, when a kid who's seven turns 65, he's going to be paying $100 for a Coke if inflation and those numbers, I didn't sit here and do the math. I'm doing this all in my head, just sure, approximately. Yeah. But mm -hmm. that Coke's going to cost that first grader, second grader, $100 if the dollar's still around and if inflation only stayed at the rate that it was in my lifetime, which I don't think it will, you know? Yeah. That's so an expensive I, damn Coke. I, I, I love that analogy. And then I always say, so did Coke get more valuable 
is the Coke in this can different today than it was 40 years ago? Or Actually, it the, was better because now they're the using big high sellers, corn syrup instead of but, regular sugar. And they it went out. No, no. Now they have Diet Coke, which is a big percentage of the Coke uh, sales. And Diet Coke, to make Diet Coke, is so much cheaper than making regular Coke because regular Coke has sugar in it. That's expensive to make. I was in the vending business, cafeteria business for a while. And if you bought, you know, when you have liquid Coke, you know, you go up with your fountain drink. Back then, the cost on a fountain drink Coke, regular Coke, would be a dime. But the cost on a Diet Coke fountain drink Coke would be three cents. Because the sugar costs so much for raw sugar than it does for chemically created sugar. So wow. actually, Cokes are cheaper now, really, when you get to it, than they were then, as far as the process. But they cost $3.50 for a Diet Coke, even. Yeah, and that's... You know, that's a conversation that we could we could touch on here a little bit too is the inflate is the you know the inflation value of, of this stuff because you know if we say inflation is theft and really what that comes from is that concept that you're talking about right there where the money is being manipulated to the point where the value when we spent the energy to create the money the government and the federal reserve are now devaluing that energy so it's we have to work ever harder in order to stay the same. You know, they're trying to get the inflation rate from 9% back down to 2%. But what they're really telling you is they're only trying to steal 2% of your life's energy from you per year versus the 9% that they've been doing over the last two years. And it's a really hard concept for people to understand. But when you use Coke analogies or, or other commodities that people have been buying their entire life, and they see how the price of those things have changed, how things have gotten expensive, quote unquote, then it, it opens up the door to, I always, I always have two things happen. Either the one person would say, Chris, you're being condescending. That's not how it works. You know, stop talking about it. Or they're saying, oh my God, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. And then and, that and opens the Pandora's box. And the person that gets hurt the most on this invisible tax of inflation are the people who can afford it the least. It's the senior citizen who is living just off Social Security. They can't afford this. And stuff is expensive. The stuff's going up at a higher rate than uh, than their Social Security check is going up. Yeah, I think they got like, a, or I got it. Hell, I get Social Security. We got like an 8% increase or something. Maybe. I'm not sure what it was. I don't know what it was. But I guarantee you to live costs a lot more than, went up more than 8%. Because they the way they calculate inflation is so rigged you know, to make it look like it's not as high. So, yeah, I mean, gosh, you go from the grocery stores, I mean, you see it real easy. I mean, uh, you go in there and go, gosh, this was like $25 last week. Now it's 30 you know, and it's going up in hunks. So huh. those people who are getting hurt by the hidden tax are the elderly who are dependent on Social Security, which I don't call that a government handout. They paid that stuff. Most of them, well, I'm not going to say all of them. Some of them paid that their whole life. You know, if you're a spouse, you get it. And there's a lot of people who get it who never put anything in necessarily. But a lot of people paid it their whole life. And that's their money. They put it in. When I was a kid, I never thought I was going to get that Social Security. I hear kids say that all the time now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sick of putting this in. I'm never going to get it. And I said, I said the same damn thing. You know, so you might get it. Who knows? I mean, I never thought I'd get it. I always said, I wish I could have it. But now it's a nice check coming in every damn month. So the question becomes is, what does it buy? Right? Right, right. The question is, what does it buy? 
and it buys less for those people than it did a year ago. Yeah, so like this- Look at eggs. Oh my gosh. Eggs have gone up an incredible amount. I don't know how much. My wife was just bitching about it. So they must have gone up a lot. We can't even find them on the shelf right now. Yeah. How about toilet paper? <laughs> what yeah. the hell is the deal with toilet paper? Did they think they were going to use that much toilet paper to buy shopping cart loads? Yeah, yeah. You know, on the, on the last subject of that 8% increase to Social Security is what people don't realize is when, okay, if Social Security was only supposed to offset 25% of a person's retirement needs. And the system has done such a good job of, of educating them that it can be 100% of the needs. They completely make the people dependent on the federal government for assistance for aftercare, after working career life, which is a terrible thing on its own. But and also yeah. the age has changed too. You probably only were going to get it for five years back. Yeah, because you weren't going to live to be ninety. You were going to live to be sixty-five, right? Seventy years old yeah. max. Yes, yeah, so that so, was going to be wow. He got a whole five whole years. You weren't planning on getting it all. They were cleaning up. They only had to pay you for three or four years, probably. Yeah. So where did this extra eight percent come from, right? I mean, it was it was it there all along, and the government was just holding out on you on your money. Or was it created out of thin air and then given to you in the form of kind of a MMT, modern monetary theory, so that you could have somewhat of a stable life as because the government knows inflation is going to be a much longer beast um, than what they're telling you? Yeah, it was just made up, just like that $1.5 trillion they voted in uh, earlier mm -hmm. in the month. So if, month. If, if money can be made up, why pay taxes at all, right? I, I mean, agree. I agree completely. I think they've proven that they don't need taxes. They've proven it. You know, they can. They have proven that they can just make money they need and then have import duties and stuff, you know, tax other countries, people. But the citizens, yeah, they should be taking care of all of us. We should be like not paying any taxes. They can do it. They've proven it. You know, they're yeah. talking now about giving uh, reparations. Where do you think that if they give reparations of $40,000, I'm not saying whether I'm against it or for it. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying if that passed, or even when they're talking about, where in the world are they going to get $40,000 for everybody who qualifies for reparations, which will be a lot of people. So mm -hmm. where are they going to get that money from? I mean, they're not going to everybody who has more money than that and say, oh, we're putting $40,000 out of your checking account because you're a white dude and you somehow owe it to this person, they're just going to make it. Yeah. And, and they're actually going to make that money. And then let's take it further. So when they make money, the government has to borrow that money from the Federal Reserve at what right now on a, you know, on a 10 year and a 30 year is around 4% or three and a half percent. So now you've got to pay three and a half percent interest on that money for the next 10 to 12 years. We're talking, you know, maybe a couple trillion dollars here. Where's that money? Where's that interest expense money going to come from? <laughs> yeah. Yo, you got to print that too to pay off your obligations because what CNBC keeps telling us is the US government cannot default on its debt because it's the world reserve currency and that would cause chaos and destruction and everything. So one of two things has to happen. Either the government has to continuously print more and more money in order to uh, pay that obligation and or they have to reduce interest rates back down to zero and so that they don't have the interest expense on this money. Yeah, so this this trying to hedge off uh, inflation by increasing the interest rate is kind of a double-edged sword. It's actually causing us to have to create more money to pay the interest rates that are going up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I was reading this, this book, uh, uh, Creature from Jekyll Island, and it, yeah, you know, a book, very profound book. statement is, if everybody in the United States paid back all of their debt, or let's just say the United States was a closed system, 
and none of the money was in other countries. If all of the debt that people owed was paid back to their creditors, there would be no money in circulation because all money is created out of debt. Every dollar in existence is borrowed into existence. And I was just like, oh my God. And that's one of the things that makes Bitcoin so incredible is because every Bitcoin in existence, none of it is borrowed into existence. Real energy, real work went into the creation of this thing. And what's out there is out there and will be out there forever because it's nobody else's obligation. I uh, I think you got a good point there. And that's, and that's a great book, by the way, Creature from Jekyll Island. That's a book you can read and then 10 years later read again and you'll get more out of it the second time mm-hmm. you know, than you did the first time. Um, I, I kind of wanted to go down there and we, we checked into going down there and staying at that location down in the Jekyll Island, that hotel. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's there. It's still in business. It's like a really high-end resort specialty uh, hotel, you know. So, but I think COVID was going on, so almost everything was locked down when we were looking. Well, at if it. you ever do go there, you have to go in under a fake name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and bring a and bring a gun with me and say I'm going hunting. That's right. <laughs> and you got to arrive in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I think it'd be interesting to go to. Not that there's probably anything the same. Just I thought it'd be good to go do a show podcast from there. You know, or a video from there or something, you know. I thought it'd be, thought it'd be interesting to host a conference there, like a small, you know, 50 people. They got rooms there that hold 50 people. So that'd be kind of fun to do. Invite people to Jekyll Island, you know, do a small uh, thing. But most of the time, you're just having fun at Jekyll Island. Because it looked yeah. like it'd be fun to be at. And yeah, Brett would be another great place to do a, a Bitcoin conference. I'm sorry? Uh, Bretton Woods would be another great place to do... Yeah. That would be a, that would be another good place. I agree completely on that too. Um, yeah, that would be a good place too. Yeah, but, guys, uh, hey, really, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say we've really gone on. Yeah, no, I was just going to say the same thing. We've been talking here for I think about an hour and a half now. Uh, we should probably start winding this down. But I uh, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up again Blit, uh, Bitblock Boom and uh, again one of the greatest Bitcoin conferences that's happening year over year. And Gary Leland is one of the co-founders of that conference. Um, tell us, tell us about it and where people can buy tickets to it. And yeah, um, what's the importance of the show? It's in Austin, Texas, um, August, the last weekend in August, like the 24th to the 27th or something. It's a one day of workshops, two day conferences. And then there's a social thing on Sunday morning. It's a Bitcoin Maximus conference. That's all we talk about is Bitcoin, nothing but Bitcoin. Um, so if you want to find out about Bitcoin or talk to other Bitcoiners, this is the place to come. You know, because we're such, you know, if you've been in Bitcoin for quite a while, you're really probably not that interested in shit coins. You just aren't. You know, you've learned your lesson. And Bitcoiners that have been in Bitcoin a while don't want to be around people who are trying to shill those. So I think I draw a unique crowd because if you don't want to be shilled, just trash, you can come to my conference and be around your own kind. You don't have to be having someone come to you and go, hey, XRP, you're wrong. That stuff's going to be good. I don't care. Take your money and put it in. You, know, you aren't going to have that at my conference. Uh, no vendors can be selling cryptocurrencies or talking about cryptocurrencies. Uh, we did make a code, uh, WISDOM. So if the, any of your listeners use the code WISDOM, they will get 10% off their tickets and they go up uh, first of every month. So the sooner you buy it, the better. We always sell out of the hotel and we usually sell out of tickets. So I think the last two or three years we've sold out of tickets. So um, go to bitblockboom.com and you can check it out. 
We also put all the previous year's sessions on there. If someone wants to see videos, just look in the tab for previous years and you can see the sessions from previous years. Fantastic. So, Fantastic. And, and just so the listeners know too, on YouTube, Gary has a great uh, YouTube page that has a lot of the uh, interviews that he's done and also a lot of the presentations that have been provided at the BitBlock Boom conference over the years that anybody can check out there. Just type Gary Leland into YouTube and find all of that stuff. Um, again, that's uh, wisdom for 10% off to go to the show. Uh, I've talked to a lot of founders of people who are building companies on top of Bitcoin, and they all go to the show. They all enjoy the experience there <clears throat> Excuse me to talk to people who are using Bitcoin and other uh, entrepreneurs and creators in the space. Uh, so it's a great place to learn more about the technology and how it can benefit you and your family's life moving forward. Gary, thank you so much for being on the oh, show. Oh, I enjoyed really it, obviously. Enjoyed yeah, we talked, a year, we talked an hour and a half. I must have enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope to, again, maybe have you on the show uh, again after this next year's conference. When and, does this come uh, out? Uh, this will probably come out in about two weeks. Okay. Because so. if it's before the 21st, I'm in Naples at the Bitcoin Day. Okay. You know, someone's around there to stop by and say hi. Yeah, I try to release these things on Fridays. So it won't be this Friday. It'll be next Friday. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I enjoyed it completely. I, I always enjoy talking Bitcoin. Yeah, me too. Thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Thanks.